Hi everybody, this is Matt Kerman. Welcome to a brand new episode of Groovy and Harmony, the podcast all about music. Today, it's Black History Month, so we're going to be discussing, we're going to be doing a Black History Month special. And uh, there's a bunch that I want to talk, discuss regarding that. Um, but first off, we're going to do our typical shameless plug. Make sure you like the Facebook page for Groovy and Harmony. Um, which you get updates about this podcast as well as the blog, Feeling Groupie. Um, the next blog post I'm going to do is probably going to be one about, there was one, it was a while back, but one, I think it was sometime last year, I remember exactly when, but there was one week uh, where I just had, uh, where the billboard charts were really interesting that um, I've been wanting to write about, but haven't. So I'll probably be the next blog post. I haven't been writing too much for the music blog lately due to a couple things. First off, um, I never did do the 2022 Fictional Festival series. That's going to be coming out, I'm hoping, in the next month, maybe two months. But uh, I won't be doing the 2023 Fictional Festival because I got so far behind on that. But 2022, I, I have a bunch of them done already, so I still want to release that. And then I also make sure I also like the Facebook page for my other blog. Is Baller Trademarked yet? That one's Basketball Blog. I have a post that's going to be coming out hopefully in the next few days. Uh, that's regarding the All-Star game and why it's not broken and doesn't need to be fixed. Um, which is, I know, is a weird take considering that the take that all the talking heads have made is that it is broken and needs to be fixed. So, um, be on the lookout for that. And then after that, I'm, I'm not sure yet. I, I might do one about the WNBA draft. Uh, March Madness is coming up soon, so soon there will be ones related to that. Um both men and women, so be on the lookout for all of that. Now, um, before we get into today's episode, the main topic of today's episode, um, I, I, well, there were a bunch of festival lineups that were announced. I'm going to discuss those next episode, but I did want to mention one thing that's a wild one. One, and not just because it's Riot Fest related, but it's a wild update. Riot Fest has announced one of their headliners. Normally, they don't announce their lineup until, uh, like, May, which the festival's not until September, that's fine. But this this year they announced that one of their headliners is going to be Slayer, who's reuniting. And they're doing, they've announced that they're doing two festival dates so far. First, Riot Fest, and then second one is uh, Louder Than Life, which that one's a pretty loaded lineup too, but I'll uh, I'll discuss that when we get to that one, which the, the Slayer is a massive one because they normally book an act that has reunited as a headliner. Um, like last year, for instance, uh, they had Postal Service, uh, the year before that they had My Chemical Romance, and they've had a bunch of other ones throughout time, but this one is, uh, but having that be there, because they have had X who are doing their first show as well, um, I'm trying to think who did they, I think they had Babes in Toyland, was it? Oh, maybe they did, but I was thinking of Bikini Kill, not Boy Babes in Toyland, my bad, um. Although, incidentally, they actually did book Waves in Toyland, but not as a headliner. Um, but yeah, like they, like in 2019, they had Bikini Kill. Uh, 2017, they had Jawbreak, Jawbreaker. Did Jawbreaker reunite for that one? Yeah, they did. It was their first one. I was worried about that. Um, they've had like, uh, they've had Misfits. Um, so they've gotten some notable ones, but this one, maybe, I mean, maybe you can make the case that Misfits is a bigger one, but that one is a, that one's a wild one. Um, the um so the other thing that I do want to discuss one thing I had wanted to discuss in the episode so uh Kanye's album hit number one I, I'm sorry excuse me Kanye and Ty Dolla Sign's album hit number one 
I called it Kanye's album because uh, I listened to, I reviewed it and my review of it was, oh, this is Kanye's album. So, um, I, but, and I was not expecting that because I thought that after everything, and even after some of their early, some of the initial singles weren't, weren't successes, they had sample clearing issues. I thought that there was no way that would chart on the Billboard charts. That would be a massive hit. And there's been a lot of lately that I've been thinking of, uh, like what would it take to, cause I know they were like, oh yeah, Kanye has been, can people were like, Kanye has been canceled. Not sure he has after that, but I did want to. But I did want to mention that I'm going to be discussing that more next episode. Because in particular, one topic that I have been interested in really is uh, what does it take? What does it take for uh, for different genres? Because I because like for instance, one that I always found interesting was like for instance, Gunna's album, last album, big hit, not as big a hit, but something notable on it. There weren't any features on it, and I wonder was there did he get the reputation of snitching by taking a plea deal? Um, and there's there's been other situ a variety of situations where you where you see like even you could say like for instance in certain genres oh if if someone is uh, accused of misconduct but then it's like but then you have situations where that even in those genres that someone wasn't canceled for that so um, that'll be something that's coming next episode but I didn't want to address that I was surprised that Connie's album hit number one. Now, we'll move on to the Black History uh, uh, Black History Month episode. That's every year that I always realize, wow, that's a little bit more of a mouthful than I thought it was. So I will say, before I record this episode, I don't want to say that I had a reckoning, excuse me, reckoning, because that sounds really weird to say, but... Um, but I really, I did give a hard thought about the reason that I do this episode. And that is probably a weird thing to say because, I mean, frankly, I mean, it doesn't make sense to, to really think that. But the truth is that I, um, that all the time I make, I poke fun of, make fun of like companies where it's like clearly they're doing stuff like this for, uh, for, pub uh, for publicity, say good publicity. And, I'm not going to name the exact uh, uh, grocery store, but there was one grocery store that they're making a big deal that for Black History Month, they're promoting black businesses and stuff like that. And I'm like, and I'm sitting there like, you're a grocery store. What? And and I can tell you there wasn't anything different about their advertising throughout the, the month of February. <laughs> um, but and I make fun of things like that all the time because that's the because that's the point of businesses to get to be a business by the same time then i sitting there thinking it's like well then why am i recording this episode and i thought about it long and hard and ultimately i came to the reason that i would have said before thinking about it long and hard honestly which is that frankly music music is music history is black history in a lot of ways because you think about from a historical standpoint the influence that both, but not only black musicians or black individuals, but black culture had on music as a whole is massive. And I'm, and I was just, I just sat down and just wrote down, just brainstormed a bunch of different genres and just thought, well, how, how did, did, or did black musicians, black artists play a big role in these ones, these genres? And I'm not going to go in depth with these ones, but I came up with a bunch. First off, blues music. That's pretty easy. Um, and also when I say this, I left off like certain genres was like you can make the case for even like country music, for instance, a lot of, for early, early country music, there were, there was some, uh, black influence in certain regions and, uh, and, uh, 
excuse me, certain regions and subgenres of early country music, but I didn't say that one, for instance. But blues music, I mean, that one, if you look at blues history, that's, yeah, that one's kind of obvious. Rock, I mean, especially in, like, a lot of the early rock artists were black. And especially when, because um, there were a few different, a few different subgenres that kind of merged into rock. Um, while, like, you had, um, like, Rockabilly, which was, like, more country-based, that one was more white. Um, there was like the more blues influenced ones where you had like your Chuck Berry's, Bo, Bo Diddley's, BB um, uh, King, I spaced on his name for a second, Lil Richard, those kinds of artists. Jazz, and I know there's, you know, there were some, I mean, jazz quickly became a white genre also, but honestly, a lot of the, like it started out from black artists, black culture, it re, and it really was in, um, and even as it was more white, I think a lot of the best. Jazz artists are are black, frankly, and from a historical standpoint, um, rap and hip hop. That one's kind of obvious. Disco, and I know like a lot of people would hear that and be like, "What?" But the disco acts that I that I would think of are like Bee Gees or ABBA. What I think of when I think disco, I think of I think of two. I think of one artist first and foremost, and one song first and foremost. The artist I think of is Donna Summer, and the song I think of is I Will Survive. But I think, but even still, from a large standpoint related to, to disco, the point of disco really was about uh, more about freedom of expression and embracing cultures, especially black culture. Uh, for electronic, tons of subgenres within electronic, um, in particular house and techno and mobile ones, but even drum and bass, for instance, had some of the founders were were uh, were black. Um, R and B and soul are grouped into one. That one kind of obvious. Same thing with gospel. Um, I grouped that one separately, even though there are uh, there's influences of both or influences of all those three together. Funk music. Um, I mean, I think that if you really know a lot of music history, then, uh, you would hear that and be like, obviously, um, I, and I, um, I don't know, maybe not even really know it, like, um, but especially like in the formation of funk, um, I combined reggae and dub into one because dub has a lot, it, uh, there's a lot of crossover between the two. And I also wrote, even though it's not as big as the other ones, I wrote down Afrobeat. And the reason for that is because we are getting a little bit of a comeback with Afrobeat, but then also there is a lot of, I think that that really did have a massive influence on a lot of different musicals. Uh, musical subcultures within it. So what I wanted to do in this episode is every year I discuss some artists. Um, and the reason that I do that is just to highlight some artists. And it's, and it's always difficult for me because I'm up to highlight a few artists and then I end up like wanting to discuss like hundreds of artists, which realistically is... I went way too hard with one time and it was just a brutal listen so but the reason that i even want to do a few is just to highlight some really influential musicians and artists and in this case also uh, i have one that's a songwriter as well um just to highlight um just how influential and important black artists are to music and this and this by all means as i kind of alluded to this is just a snapshot like there's thousands if not more that i could that i could be choosing every year it's always a struggle where i'm like i have to limit it to this many this year i chose 15 and the reason was because i there were i got it had gotten it to 11 and just didn't feel like didn't know who else i could remove so i just added in a few more anyways 
And one thing that I did, because I've been doing something like this recently, where, I mean, a lot of times you will like get certain artists where it's like if they're in these kind of specials, where if it's someone who's topical or um, if it's someone who is, uh, or if it's someone who's like a really notable name. And that's, and that's not to say that, and that's not to diss any, or throw shade at anything else. It makes sense why you do that. It, you want to, you're going to do a deeper dive, especially about someone who a lot of times people would know. That makes sense. In this one, I don't want to do that. What I want to do in, instead of doing, uh, as, like as much as I would love to sit here and be like, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, Tracy Chapman, who I've, I would say it might be the most underrated artist of all time. Or let's talk about Living Color, who I every year I think I want to talk about here because I don't think they get enough attention, but I talk about them a ton. I have opted to do, and ironically, those two actually would fit this category, but this restriction, but or not restriction, but this uh, this criteria is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, and that's I want I want to discuss 15 artists who are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and in most of these cases, they've never been nominated. And the reason that I want to do that is just because you there there's a lot of while there are a lot of artists who have been inducted, I still think it shows that even if you take these fifteen and say, well, maybe they're not Hall of Famers, still they're important to music. And I think they could make a case for a bunch of them they would be excuse me, sorry, I got the hiccups. Uh for a bunch of them they would be they would not be inducted as performers because they would be in a different category, maybe non performer, uh maybe early influence, something like that. Um, especially because I kind of for instance I have a jazz musician in here. That wouldn't make sense. And I had another one who is pre rock. Uh actually Arcabilly, I have two uh, a couple that are pre rock, but depending on where where you define rock music starting. But the reason, uh, I did want to still highlight these artists and say that, hey, there are, there are some pretty clear choices here. Um, so I'm, there, I'll be honest, there's no particular order in how I have these. I just kind of wrote them down. So this will go all over the place. You'll get like you'll get like a you could end up with a variety of different genres. Um, and I'm not going to focus too long on this one. And the reason is just because I, if I talk so long about different artists, then I just know that it can get drier a lot after a while. But what I I do want to what I want to do more than anything is just highlight these fifteen artists, and I would encourage you to read more about them, learn more about them, listen to their music if if you'd like, and really just learn like the impact that they along with others had. That's the whole point of this. So the first and some of these I have. I probably have said in previous Black History Month specials. My apologies about that. I every year I realize that I had forgotten to keep track of the ones that I did the previous year. So I'm gonna start doing that. But um, the, but I think there's a. I know there's some that I never discussed. There's some that I think I did discuss in the previous years. So apologies about that. The first one I want to discuss: Winoni Harris, and he was a vocalist. He um, probably like, uh, most associated with blues, and. Uh, and often was uh, um, was like uh, had a lot of dirtier lyrics also, but he, um, but especially as a solo, well, he he was well he was featured in a couple songs that were more popular. He had a bunch of a bunch of hit songs in the um, now what's known as the R and B charts at the time was um, called the R and B and race charts. Yeah, but uh, he had tons of hits, tons of uh, notable songs, including a. Uh, most notable one being Good Rocking Tonight, as well as all she wants to do is rock. But um, really, 
he, and he had tons of hits, but really, in my opinion, even though I would say he was a tiny bit before rock, he was, I would say he was like around that time, but probably maybe just a teensy bit before rock music. Um, and I, I wouldn't, well, there's a case to be made. He was the first, he was the first rock star though. And I mean, and really just with his performance, with his performances, with his stage presence, uh, with his lyrics and in particular, even he, uh, he was massively influential on Elvis and, uh, like Elvis had cited him as an influence with his performing, performing and tried to, and used a lot of his both vocals and, um, the, his physical presence on stage was heavily influenced by, by Harris. The next artist I want to discuss is Cory Carter. And I will say, um, for the longest time, I had I had defined uh I called Rocket 88 the first rock song. Um Cory Carter had a song, Rock a While, that was released two years before that. I'm still on the fence whether it's like more rock or uh or like a jump blues kind of thing, but I think there's a case to be made that, that one Rock Wild is the first rock rec- first rock record. Especially because uh, of like the guitar style, the similarities that you have in, um, in like uh, I think especially seeing like Chuck Berry similar uh, similarities, Chuck Berry style, um, to Carter's, and I would and I think that it was because I mean you could still define it as like electric blues or blues or jump blues, which I that's the big thing that I think you could it, that's holding me back from necessarily saying it is the first rock song, but still I mean pretty much while well, he was so important in in rock music as a whole because of rock while really jump-starting the genre rock and roll hall of fame doesn't even doesn't even acknowledge him at least they didn't for many years i don't know if they still that's still the case but i've and uh different articles who have said that it was like he barely even existed with that and it really wasn't even until uh he passed that people that it was that the song was rediscovered which which, I, it, which stinks when that happens. I, I hate it when that happens for artists. They should they should get to see how influential their music was. Um, next artist I want to discuss, Cab Calloway. I'm almost certain I discussed him in a previous Black History special, but the reason I wanted to hear is because, well, he was a, a jazz vocalist, honestly, even though, and I, there's no, there's no calling him a rock artist. To me, he's the first rock star. And really just because of, mainly because of his stage presence. And he had so, and he had so, so many hits. Uh, he was, especially in the 30s, he was, in the 1930s, he was absolutely massive. He still had success in the 1940s as well. But he, he was cool. But in the 30s, he was, he was a superstar. And he, uh, um, and really, I mean, and he influenced a lot of performers. Um, I mean, like, for instance, uh, like, uh, James Brown had said that he had considered him an influence in that regard. Um, but, uh, there are, and I mean, in addition to Rocky, had, like, um, his, his performance style and, uh, stage presence had an influence on so, on so many other, so many, like, so many hip hop artists. Um, you could see him and them. You can, uh, even like artists like Michael Jackson, even you could see that him in there. Uh, and I think just his, and while he was like one heck of a singer too, his stage presence, I think really made him, I would argue that even though he was not a rock artist, I would say just his stage presence made him the, made him the first rock star. Uh, next, next artist I want to discuss is a group and that's Fishbone. And I've always, there's, I would say that there are three, uh, 
three artists, three groups associated with funk metal that I would consider to be heavily underrated because you have there are funk metal groups that are that are massive like Red Hot Chili Peppers even though they shifted away from funk, funk metal by the time they got to the 90s uh you and then um uh I'm spacing out on their name Rage Against the Machine I love them it's based on their name and there's others but I would say Faith No More Living Color who I mentioned earlier and Fishbone Fishbone uh, they they were among the first of the funk metal groups and really among the among the important 80s alternative groups in particular well they had a well, they had commercial success it wasn't they're they're they don't have the same reputation as some of these other bands because their their commercial success really was really dwarfed compared to a lot of some of the other 90s alternative bands um but they have a cult following they um and even while not all their members at different points might have been black they um they have had several black members throughout including um, actually, really, I think a good chunk of their, uh, their members, including Angela Moore, who's their front band, and they, uh, and they really are an important band, and I think that they don't get the respect that they deserve. I would honestly, and then, even though they were, they were around the, they came to releasing music around the same time as Red Hot Chili Peppers did, I would honestly consider Fishbone to be more important in funk metal than Red Hot Chili Peppers. They just don't get that kind of respect, though. The next artist I want to discuss is Death. And just to clarify, not the metal group, but the proto-punk group, who is among the first punk groups. They, um, they had, so they originally started as a funk band, then they, then they changed to, uh, uh proto-punk style, and, uh, a lot of people consider them to be the first, uh, uh to be the first black punk band, uh, all black punk band, then they were among the first punk bands, like I would say, there's a case to be made about, about the Stooges and MC5, depending on if you consider how, if you consider them punk or not, but they were among the first, and while they, they most of their releases their most of the recordings weren't released at the time. Um, they um, they had a couple singles that were uh, uh, that were released, but uh, they were but they were recording with Columbia and Clive Davis had wanted them to uh, do more commercial releases, and the band uh, the band refused and they got dropped. But in recent years, there was a rediscover. The last couple of feet, I guess, there was a rediscovery of them, um, and since then, in the in the last decade or decade, decade and a half, a lot of their releases have that they recorded years before have been released, which is really cool to see. Um, and they, well, one of their original member, because it was uh, the Hackney, uh, I believe all three brothers, yeah, the Hackney brothers um, were the ones who originally formed it. One of their, one of them, David Hackney, he passed away in two thousand, but now they actually recently they added in uh, Julian Hackney, who is. I think one of the members' son. I think Bobby Hackney's son. Um, yeah, Bobby Hackney um, and son. And yeah, I I think it's so cool to, to see it because I, um, I mean, I feel listen to the podcast long enough. You know, I love punk, and I think that they and seeing even like them being an early punk band and just and while it didn't so well, they're they, I, they weren't that known. They had a following, and they were influential in that following. Uh, next up. I really wanted to discuss one, at least one, hip-hop producer. And to me, the one that almost instantly came to mind was Jay Dilla. And Jay Dilla, he uh, never was like, a, he passed away at the age of 32 due to, in 2006, due to TTP and lupus. But um, really, he was, and he was more on the, he was more underground, but 
he was really, really influential. And I know, like, now Donuts in particular has, uh, um, is like it's like a legendary album, um, um, but which I mean it was released I think three days before he had passed. But really, he um, he was really important in a lot of hip hop produ- production, and in particular, he was I I would argue that he was among the best of he, he was among the best of with percussion and drums in hip hop music as a producer because he was in addition to producing he was one hell of a drummer as well he was really really talented in that regard but he also was he was a really smart he was a really talented musician brilliant musician and he uh, uh he continued he uh his influence and his, the amount of sampling that's done with his music is incredible. I mean, even like Questlove, for instance, had uh, had called him the has called him the world's greatest drummer, and I don't think that's unreasonable to say, um, especially in hip hop. Which, incidentally, but I swear I did not intend this transition, but I was like, oh, who's next? Oh, this is ironic. Um, Questlove's group, The Roots, um, <laughs> that worked out really well in that regard. Um, yeah, I really wanted to discuss the roots because um, originally I was going to discuss De La Soul because I really wanted to have an um, alternative hip hop group uh, on here, and I think that De La Soul. Well, uh, in, I mean, because the two alternative hip hop groups I think of are Tropical Quest and De La Soul, but I discussed I've discussed De La Soul a ton in the last year I think, and uh, a Tropical Quest is nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year, so I'll talk about them more then. I so hope they get in, but I don't know that they will. Um, they, uh, um, but yeah, drop, um, excuse me, the roots rather felt like a no brainer because of, uh, um, because they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet. Their music has consistently earned critical acclaim. They're considered one of the best hip hop groups of all time by many people. Um, while I didn't have them in my top five, I think they, when I did that list, they might have a case in the top 10. Um, they're immensely, immensely popular. Um, they, they've had multiple hits, um, and honestly, they're influential, and honestly, they're, they're one heck of a live band. They're one of the, they're, I, they're, we've got to be one of the best live groups I've ever seen. Um, de- I'd be shocked if they weren't, they might not be my top five, they def- I'd imagine they'd be my top ten. They were something else, they're absolutely amazing. Um, and that's really why I did want to discuss them. And I mean, in general, they really did have an interesting approach to rap and hip hop, um, which I, th- and they were among the, and I think they're among the better East Coast hip hop groups. Um, next up, I want to discuss Lauren Hill. Um, she, uh, uh, she rose to popularity with Fuji's. Um, the score, their second album, the score was classic album, like, it was praised from the pretty much from the second it was released, and it's continued to rise in reputation. And that's that might not be the best album that she was involved with, because the Miseducation of Lauren Hill, her lone solo album, was uh, it was something else. It uh, it wasn't if I, well, I think Neo Soul, I think Lauren Hill, um, and I think this album. It it wasn't it wasn't a wild album. It was. It it's yeah it's an amazing album one of the best albums of one of the best hip hop albums of all time um a lot of people call it like the standard for uh, uh for um 
for conscious hip hop or excuse me for yeah for conscious hip hop um one of the best hip hop albums by female artists it's uh um, even Chad GBT has uh, <laughs> has called it one of the best ones of all time. Um, it, yeah, and, and I mean, she, I mean, she really is one one skilled and amazing performer. Um, and I mean, she has I mean, she's impacted so many artists uh, and so many people sample her work because it's that amazing. Um, next up, I want to discuss uh, Phila Cudi. Uh, legend in afrobeat music he actually was nominated for uh the uh for the for the rock and roll fame a couple years ago oh and actually i mentioned afrobeat i that was making a comeback i accidentally merged afrobeat and afrobeats which uh afrobeats kind of stem from afrobeat i sometimes get those mixed up so my apologies about that but he uh um but yeah he uh and afrobeat really it uh does it, uh, it's kind of like a blend of funk, of funk and jazz, and he really was one amazing musician. Uh, abs- his influence is massive, not only as a as a musician, where I really feel like that he was so influential in a lot of in a bunch of different subgenres, but also as a as an activist, he was really in a he was massive. In his activism uh, in Nigeria, in particular, which uh, was his home nation, and really until his death, he was he he ended up being jailed for uh, going for uh, protesting against it and against the government. And really, I think his reputation continues to grow, just as you see, just how influential he was, and uh, in so many different ways, especially as civil rights icon. Next up, is this is an int- this is an interesting one. I really wanted to just discuss Ice T because uh, there are very few people who are massive in both or who are notable in both metal and rap. And he, I mean, he had a bunch of really notable uh, solo albums as a hip hop artist, and then formed, founded Bo- and then founded Body Count, and that one instantly uh was a mat was a was controversial because they had a song called cop killer which uh was um which he was discussing the which was uh which while well, it people thought that they were encouraging people to kill cops was actually about uh was actually commenting on the fact that uh that it was uh that it was related to police brutality and saying talk about cops being killers of course, it was massively, massively controversial. But Body Count has had a, has, is a is a really uh, um, I mean they're a notable band within metal, um, especially in the crossover thrash scene. Um, they um, they weren't the first, but they were they're definitely a really important and popular group in that in the genre. Um, and I mean, he's had several notable albums. I would say the one that friends a hip hop artist. I would say the one that comes to mind would be OG Original Gangster. Um, that one I would argue is his best album. But I mean, he's had a bunch of really notable albums. Next up, uh, we're gonna go with a jazz artist, and that's Coleman Hawkins. And um, it's funny because I, I like. I think the best way I can put it is 
if you know me, if if you've listened long enough or know me well enough, you'll start realizing I have some weird music tastes. Um, and I do like jazz music. I like some really wacky jazz music. I've never got into free jazz. I mean, not free jazz, excuse me, uh, smooth jazz, for instance. Free jazz is the opposite of smooth jazz. And I mean, now you do have a lot of these smooth jazz artists who have like ballads. But the thing is, Miles Davis had said, uh, Miles Davis had actually said, when I heard Coleman Hawkins, I learned to play ballads. And he, and really, I mean, he was, and he like did a bunch of different styles than jazz swing. He had some bop music as well, or bebop, excuse me. Um, But really, I thought that he was... And he was a great improviser as well. Um, Maybe the, I'm not well versed enough in jazz to truly comment on this, but there is a case, but one of the, one of the, I would imagine he'd he'd be up there among the best tenor, tenor uh, saxophonist. And I, and look, I, the reason I wanted to put him on here and they, the Rock and Roll of Fame has listed on, has jazz artists inducted as um, in their, um, uh, I'm spacing on the name of the genre, but uh, um, influence, whatever they called the influence ones on rock music before, and I can't think of the name of it, um, but uh, Coleman Hawkins was not one of them. And to me, I think that's insane because he, um, because, I mean, his, uh, because his importance in bebop, for instance, really is like more complex. And also, well, he had some of the smoothest stuff you've ever heard. He was also an excellent improviser, which really lends itself to rock music. And I think that his influence in that regard really was so influential, not just jazz, but a variety of other other genres as well. Um, next up, I want to discuss Irma Thompson, uh, or excuse me, Irma Thomas. Um, yeah, she was one of, uh, I mean, there's a reason she's often known as the soul queen of New Orleans. She, uh, she was one talented musician, one talented vocalist, and, um, and really, I mean, there are three like soul artists who I would say were massive among the who were among the same time who were really uh, super talented and deserves a lot of props. The other two were massive in Aretha Franklin and Ed James, and I think that's why that uh. That's why Irma Thomas has not had the same level of success because she wasn't quite as famous as the other, as the other ones, which the other ones I mentioned, which is really sad, because um, she really is one talented artist. There's a lot of there's a lot of artists who uh, who do view her as really important as well. So she just and it's, I think it stinks that she just didn't have that same level of success and is more forgotten by a lot of different people. Um, so we've got three more artists that we're going to discuss. Um, next up, DeFord Bailey. Uh, he was uh, actually the f- uh, he was actually the first uh, black artist to he was country artist, but he was the first black artist to um, perform the Grand Old Opry. Opry, excuse me, which is massive. He uh, was best known as a harmonica player and was one heck of a harmonica player. Um, he uh, he was among the first to uh, to play music live on the radio. Um, really talented artist. Uh, his career got cut short because uh, he got fired by the radio station that uh, um, that did that, and he just largely stopped performing. But he really was a popular artist in country music in the 1920s and in the 1930s as well, and really had a lot of respect from a lot of different artists. And uh, 
and I, now especially there are a lot of there are a lot of dedication there have been a lot of dedications and remembrances for him because there were a lot of play, there were a lot of people that just that uh that were just blown away by not only his influence but his musicianship. Uh, next up, we're gonna go with a songwriter, and she was also a performer. But Irene Higginbotham, uh, she wrote a bunch of different songs. She mostly wrote in blues and jazz. Her most known one, uh, "Good Morning," Har- uh, "Good Morning Heartache." was a massive was a pr- really big hit by Billie Holiday um and then uh it later ended up being an even bigger hit by uh Diana Ross and there were tons of other tons of other ones as uh, ones as well um but she was a talent uh, she was a talented uh musician but really because she was uh because she uh, had, she was affiliated with Bill Holiday early. She wrote a bunch of songs for her. Um, she actually wrote a bunch of other jazz artists in particular, but uh, like she wrote for uh, the aforementioned Coleman Hawkins, uh, Nat King Cole, uh, Duke Ellington, um, Louis Jordan. Uh, she wrote a song for Peggy Lee and Benny Goodman, a um, bunch of other ones, but she was one excellent songwriter. And the last artist I want to discuss, DJ Dextrous, really 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 important in uh jungle and drum and bass in particular i would say that he is among the first drum and bass artists um and and he uh and he uh started his own labels too but really he um uh but uh when he but his song roughneck business um it re- he um it was influential in jungle music it was influential in really a lot of electronic as a whole because there was all sorts of break beats um and like sped up beats which really was influential in drum and bass um he, uh and break beat as well um there was uh heavy reggae and dub influence as well which really actually was utilized by a lot of uh, by a lot of other art, uh, other artists as well. Um, but yeah, he he was a really important uh, producer in the uh, in the uh, in the early development for a lot of these genres. And I mean, to me, I know I said I know he's often cited as like a major influence on jungle music. I would say he's even as, he might be even more important in uh, drum and bass even. So uh, those are the fifteen artists. And really, the reason that I did want to. Uh, want to discuss as ours again is that there were while i only discussed 15 there's like at least thousands probably more artists who you can't who you can look at and be like hey these are black artists who are really influential and frankly i don't think that there are enough that get the credit that they deserve in that regard so um i have uh even though we're at the time where i was hoping to be done recording we're gonna do uh my bonus special top five list and this one is a weird one, but it's, I was torn between two. I was torn between top five catchiest songs 2023, which I'll discuss next time, and top five rap hip-hop artists who I knew early on and uh, was hoping would become big. I know that's a mouthful and a really weird way of saying it, but basically, because there's certain there's certain artists who you hear, I hear of early on in their career before they become big, and I hope that they become popular, and especially in a lot of cases because they're really talented. And in some cases, that doesn't happen, but in there are cases where it does happen. So in particular, uh, we're, I'm just gonna run through and do uh, 
a bunch of artists who will say as honorable mentions outside looking in if you're a Lebedar Show fan. Um, and some of these, it's because I got onto them a little bit later. Um, like, for instance, uh, Run the Jewels, I caught on a little bit late. Danny Brown, I caught on a little bit late. Uh, even Death Grips, I would say, I caught on a tiny bit late. Um, or like Killer Mike's uh, Resurgence, and then also a couple other ones, Watsky and Rhapsody. Um, and because uh, there's... Ooh, this is a little bit tough now because I'm I'm putting myself on the spot, but because the, there's six that I'm considering here, I'm gonna say Absol as the other uh, the other one just because uh, I think that the other five are a little bit bigger. So number five, Joy Badass. I don't remember exactly when I had first heard of him. I went, I think it was one of his uh, one. I don't remember if it was one of his mixtapes or one of his early albums, but I didn't. But it wasn't. I think it was one of his mixtapes that I had first heard of him and then i had and then when his debut album came out i listened to that and i'm like this guy's legit um actually i think i had listened to a couple of i think it was on a featured song actually that i'd heard i don't remember i'd heard of by the time i had, uh, I'd heard his debut album I'm like this i hope this guy becomes big because he's really talented number four we're gonna go with anderson pack i it's funny because i had uh well, I really uh, I got to know him with Malibu, which is where he was introduced to the world. I had I had heard a bunch of stuff from Venice and his debut album, and I didn't put two and two together. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's really good. And then I heard Malibu. I'm like, whoa, this guy's great. I look back. I'm like, wait, I missed how did I miss this? Um, number three, Young Thug. I still remember because um, he had been a name that I had just heard in passing here and there but but then uh he because he had had a bunch of uh self-released mixtapes and then there everything changed with barter six barter six i had heard so much about it i listened to it and i'm like wow this guy's really good and he really has exploded since then i know he's currently in prison which uh it sucks but I, I don't know how else to say it, honestly, there. It, it stinks. But he, I, I've heard him, and I was like, he, he, I hope he's big. He's really good. I was torn between which one I would say number one and number two, because the one I had number two, I actually learned about pretty early on, and that's Lil Durk. Lil Durk, uh, I, so his debut album was uh, released in 2015. He had had some mixtapes like 2011, 2012. I had first heard of him in 2013 with uh, um, with his second single, uh, This Ain't What You Want. Uh, I had found the song, and I, li I listened to it, and I'm like, I kind of like this. <laughs> at that time, it's funny, because at that time, I wasn't as... Uh, into uh as into drill music but i heard i'm like this is pretty good and i kind of thought about him a ton but i was like yeah i'd uh, hear him on and off and i'll be like yeah he yeah he's good yeah yes and then he did some songs well he did songs with a bunch of people but in particular in uh while he was hadn't made a name for himself as one of the he made a for name for himself in hip-hop and like had been rising and then he was featured on some drake stuff and from there, he really has taken off to the point where even uh, All My Life ends up hitting number two in the U.S. and being a massive, massive hit. Number one, Chase the Rapper. When I was in and when I was in college, uh, uh, freshman year, I was still a little bit of an novice with hip hop, but um, we, uh, but there was a bunch of people on the floor that really liked hip hop, and I was getting more into it. And 
in and in particular uh, in in twenty third because it was twenty thirteen a few months before he had released Acid Rap and it was on the rise in uh it was on the rise in uh, uh in hip hop online and there was one person on that lived in my in my dorm who because we had speakers in our in the bathroom and this and this there was this one guy in particular who really knew a lot of a, a lot of hip hop music before it, it became big so that, so like i mean that was how like for instance uh, around that time uh um chitty bang uh was emerging um machine gun kelly i like had known them before bef- him before he really exploded hip hop and before he before people were like oh maybe he's better at pop punk than hip hop and um, that, but Ch- Chance the Rapper was, in particular, the song "Good Ass Intro" was would blast all the time on that on that station. And then um, there was some other, and there were some other ones like uh, "Acid Rain." I, Chase Smoker, also both those ones became uh became notable. And uh, from and he, from there, I was I heard him and I was like, it was interesting because we were I think a lot of people were thinking it's like. This style is interesting, which is funny because it was around the same time that Kendrick Lamar was big, and his, well, his flow was amazing. His rapping style was a little bit different than a lot of people, and it was like it's different, but damn, it's good. And to see and to see him really explode from there, I know that um he kind of he uh, tailed off a little bit after the big day was a massive flop. It was a bit of a flop. Um, but even though I say that it hit number, it, it hit number, it hit number two in the U S but really just a lot of people really, uh, just hated it. Um, but, uh, honestly though, I mean, I was, I was thrilled that he, but once coloring book came out, he really, it was a massive, massive hit. I was so thrilled for him because, because hearing, because he, honestly hearing acid rap, it was like, I think all of us were hoping that he would be massive. So I'm so glad that he reached that. Anyways, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you like, uh, the Facebook page for, Groupie and Harmony, and uh, also is Bullard uh, is not help if I could say it right. Is Bullard trademarked yet? Make sure you also like uh, um, the or check out the blogs, both for is Bullard trademarked yet and feeling groupie. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye.